Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This is part one of a two-part message given by Pastor Eric Ludy at the Church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Session number two, the bold confessor, like a lion for the glory of Jesus. So the first session was about humility and the humility of God. I don't know if that shocks you like it does me. I know it, and I've taught on this before, but just the thought of God being humble is part of his very nature. And if anything is proud, did you know that it is not of God? God is not proud. He resists the proud and gives grace unto the humble. He gives grace unto that which bears the nature of the Spirit. And so the bold confessor, we're dealing with two aspects to the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of dimension to the Holy Spirit, and in a sense, by even trying to give a message like this, I'm robbing at a certain level because I'm not going to cover it all. But the name of this overall series was Humility and Chutzpah. This is about the chutzpah. This is the oomph. So the bold confessor, like a lion for the glory of Jesus. So summary of session one, the humble servant, the parakletos, the advocate, the intercessor, the rescuer, the helper, the counselor, the comfort bringer, the hidden hero, the man in the water, the unknown soldier, the two arms that push, the guy that helped me into the helicopter, otherwise known as the Holy Spirit. What does the Spirit do? He willingly serves unnoticed, taking the lowest place solely for the glory of another. Well, what does the Spirit do within us? You see, if the Spirit of God is dwelling within us and he has a job that he is doing in and through this body, what do you think he's going to be doing? He's going to be moving within us to serve unnoticed and to take the lowest place solely for the glory of another. We are going to be doing the same ministry. We're going to be taking the lowest place and we're going to be serving the glory of another. Whatever happened to the bold confessor? So this is a launch into this dimension of the Holy Spirit's work. Here we are talking about the one who is willing to be silent and hidden, and now we're going to say, and he's one of the loudest, most roaring voices you will ever hear. Doesn't that sound like a contradiction? The Holy Spirit is not a contradiction. He's a great picture of God Almighty. Jesus Christ is silent as a lamb unto slaughter, and yet he is the word of God. The booming, thunderous voice of God, who, if enlightened in scripture, is likened unto Niagara Falls, the sound of mighty rushing waters, and yet he's silent? You see, God is humble, and yet he is bold. You see, he boldly came to rescue us. God has humility, but he also has chutzpah. We need some serious help when it comes to the bold confessing of the faith. We were talking about uh, the church in China. What is it, 30,000, what is it, a day or a week in China in the, in the underground church that are coming? A day, 30,000 a day that are coming into the kingdom of heaven. They are growing at a rate of, what was it, 30% a year? We are shrinking in America at a rate of 6% a year? Uh, excuse me, what has happened to the bold profession? There, they can be tortured and killed for professing it. We have liberty and freedom, and we don't confess it. You see a problem here. 
We're missing something. What are we missing? We're missing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the bold confessor. You see, he's the one that takes from the word of God and speaks it. He spoke it to our soul, but then he speaks it through us. He's looking for a body. He's looking for a tongue that will willingly yield itself to him and say, God, you have a message to give. Use my body to deliver it. Chutzpah. Isn't that a great word? Some of you aren't as excited about that word as I am. So what does it mean? Amazing pluck, bewildering guts. These are the type of guts where everyone goes, no way. He actually did that? And superhuman boldness. Uh-uh. He wouldn't do He did it. That's chutzpah. Now, chutzpah isn't always a compliment. In this conversation, it will be, okay? The world isn't that impressed oftentimes with the chutzpah of Christians. They don't appreciate it. In fact, they crucify you when you have it. And so it's not always a positive term in the world. However, in our conversation, you know what? We need some chutzpah. We need the sort of oomph that carries believers into the most dangerous situations and proclaims that which the Holy Spirit is wanting to say. So the verb. You know that the entire Hebrew language is built on three-letter verbs. They're called Hebrew roots. And they are all verbs. And so what is, when, when you put those three letters together, what do you have? You have something called a word in the Hebrew. Well, Jesus Christ is the word. He's the Hebrew word made flesh. And yet the word is made up of three letters, which I, I think is just extremely fascinating. And it's an action. And so I'm going to liken the Holy Spirit to the verb. The Holy Spirit, the verbs make up all the other words. And so they're the roots of all the Hebrew language is the, are these verbs. And the Holy Spirit is the verb of God. The way that God does what he does here on earth is through the Holy Spirit. The way he did what he did in and through Jesus Christ, he spoke what he spoke, he did the miracles that he did, was through the Holy Spirit. The way he does what he does in and through the church, in and through us, is through the Holy Spirit. He's the verb. And so the entire Hebrew language is made up of three-letter verb roots. So at the root of every word is a verb, an action. The entire Hebrew Old Testament reveals the word of God made flesh, Jesus Christ. But at its creation, its root, is the power of the Holy Spirit breathing. All scripture is inspired, in spirito, by God. God breathed, breathed by God. Where does the word come from? The Holy Spirit is the one that breathed it. Yet what is he breathing? Jesus. He is revealing Jesus in and through his breath. And so he is the verb. He's that which brings it about. He brings about the revelation of Jesus Christ. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form, form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And here we have this verb. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You see, you have, in creation, you have three characters. You have the Father, God, you have the word that he spoke, which by that word he created the heavens and the earth, which is known as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ created the heavens and the earth. All things were created by him. There's nothing that was made that was not made by him. And yet, I, th I thought God created the heavens and the earth. Yeah, he did, through the word. The word actually was the instrument of creation. And who's hovering? Who's attending to the creation of God? You see, the new creation in the blood of Christ is attended by the Holy Spirit. If you're going to be made a new creature, there's something very, very important. The Spirit of God better be hovering over the waters. And when the word of God is spoken, it brings life. 
It generates something new inside of you. So the Holy Spirit is a part of that which brings life. The anatomy of confession. So we have this idea of a word being Christ. It is the revelation of God. It is the revelation of his nature. You look at Jesus, you look at the cross, you see all you need to know about God. Everything about the Father is revealed in the Son. And what is the Holy Spirit doing? He's the one revealing that to you. He is the verb or the root underneath it. And that which flows out of it, just like out of Jesus' side, it's a river. What flows out of those of us that believe? It's a river of life. And it gushes forth from us. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the life of God being expressed. John 16. I have yet many things to say unto you, says Jesus, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, what will he do? He will guide you into all truth. Who is the truth? Jesus is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. He will not speak his own words, but whatsoever he, he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, says Jesus. How will you see Jesus? By the Holy Spirit. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, says Jesus. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. So if everything that Jesus has, everything the Father has belongs to Jesus, and then the Spirit takes from everything Jesus has, what does the Spirit have access to? Everything. The Holy Spirit has access to everything you need for life and godliness. Everything. And he is the one that has been bequeathed to you because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A way has been made for you to receive the life of God. To actually dwell within you to enable this body to begin to function as it ought to function. To be actually a new creation. To live. The Spirit of God is the one who will generate that life. He will take from the work of that cross and the work of Jesus, and He will bring it to us. He will take the words of Jesus. He'll bring the promises of Jesus. He'll bring the efficaciousness of everything Christ did, and He will bring it to us and generate a new life in us. Logos. Now look at the, that's how it's pronounced. In in English, we typically say logos, and that's the word that many of us understand as Word. That actually means word in Greek. A word expressed, something spoken, a thing revealed through speech, the vehicle of revelation. So remember, we're talking about confession here. At Ellerslie, we deal with the word confession a lot. However, I don't know that I've ever given you a detailed enunciation of even the word confession. The word confession itself is amazing. It really is. But when we use this tongue in agreement with the one who's testifying of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, What are we going to do with it? We're going to do what the Holy Spirit would do with a tongue. We are going to confess Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit confesses Jesus Christ. That's what he does all day long, every day. He's revealing Jesus Christ. And so when we are overtaken by the Holy Spirit, what happens with our tongue? We testify, we confess, we reveal Jesus Christ with our words. And so we have this word called word, you know, a word, logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's speaking of Jesus. So Jesus is the Logos. The Word of God is revealed in two different ways. You handle it in text. It's known as Scripture. That's the Word of God in text. And then the Word of God in a body, a human body, is called Jesus Christ. It's the Word of God made flesh, Jesus. 
And so the Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God created the heavens and the earth by the Word of God. Jesus isn't just born 2,000 years ago. He's always been. His goings forth are from of old and everlasting. So the Logos, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, the vehicle of revelation, the perfect expression of the Father, the embodiment of the divine Word of Scripture in human form, Jesus Christ. I, I've given this illustration to you before, but it can't hurt to give it to you again. If I wanted you to read what was in my mind, sort of hard to do, I could say, try it. You'd be like, uh. What I would do is I would take my thoughts, my idea, and I would package it in something known as a word or a series of words. And then I would shoot it out via the tongue, and it would go airborne, and it would go through your ear canal, into your mind, and you would unpack it. And you could then take out my words and interpret them and actually know in your mind what was in my mind. A word is a translation device, a vehicle of revelation. So I could, I could point and do things like that without words. And it doesn't mean we can't communicate, but it's not very effective. And you can, the possibility of misunderstanding is high. But if I take a word, I can perfectly reveal my idea, my will, my thought to you. Jesus is the vehicle through which God revealed his idea, his thought, his person to us. And in that word, we see him. Hama. In perfect stride, together in unity, thorough agreement, in total alignment, in the same place of one accord. So this word, hama, if there was a mirror here, and, or maybe I should just say, you're standing there, and you're mimicking me. Okay, so if I do this, you did that. And so then I come back like this, you do that. I'm like, hey, what, what are you, and so you're just constantly mimicking me. Have you ever been around a kid that repeats everything you say? And it's like, would you please be quiet? So this is a healthy version of it, okay? No matter what you do, the mirror reflection does the same. This is the concept of Hama. It's in perfect stride. So what one does, the other does. Okay, so I'm, going, I'm teaching you two Greek words because we're going to combine them to understand the word confession. Hama plus logos equals a word that we know as confession. So what does this mean? The word is homologeo. A verbal declaration of your thorough alignment and agreement with the word of God in text and in person. So here's the logos, and wherever it goes, however it moves, what are you doing? You move precisely as it moves. The spirit of God is what brings about confession because he reveals to us the word of God and then he moves within us towards agreement. He convinces us that that is true. And by faith, when it moves, we move. Whatever it does, we do. Remember what Jesus said? The words I speak are not my own. They're my Father's. The actions I have are my Father's actions. The Spirit of God only does that which the Word of God is doing. Where the Word of God moves, He moves. He is in perfect stride, homologale. He is confessing Jesus Christ. That's what He does. So then, the Word of Scripture that the Spirit of God is in perfect agreement with comes to us. And what does the Spirit of God say? You confess the same way I do. You see, now as the Spirit moves in agreement with the Word of God, we do. Whatever it says, we do. Whatever it, whatever it claims, we claim. This tongue is the vehicle through which he will share that Word with this world. Exposing the cowardly soul. So why don't we speak more boldly? Well, let's just get down to it. We're very comfortable here, and we don't really want to rock the boat. You see, it's the people that stand on street corners and make a big deal about things 
that get into trouble. We as Christians can actually live at peace in this world to a certain degree without persecution if we just keep our mouths shut. Simple rule of thumb in modern Christianity, just be quiet. We'll let you coexist with us, the world says, as long as you keep it to yourself. And so what have we done? We've kept it to ourselves. And the wild-eyed characters out there that are actually going around, coming up to everyone and sharing the gospel, make us uncomfortable as Christians. Like, excuse us, but you're making us look bad. I'm not with him. Whatever happened to the bold confession of the Christian? Could you imagine if every single one of us, every person we run into for the next week, we boldly declare Jesus Christ to them? Uh, yeah, the world might change in one week. What is wrong with us? We're missing something. We're missing chutzpah. We're missing oomph. We're missing the confessor. Our tongues are still our own. They are not purchased by Jesus Christ. Something has gone wrong here. Exposing the cowardly soul. John 9. So this man was born blind and he's healed. Listen to this story. And they asked them, saying, is this your son? The parents are brought in, and the son says that he was healed by Jesus. Well, they don't like this story. Are we sure that he was born blind? Because that, that is quite the testimony. A man born blind healed. He's never seen before. His eyes have never worked, and suddenly he sees. And so they bring in the parents. Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know, not, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. Now there's a second follow-up question. How does he see then? Now, what you don't yet know in the story is that the parents actually know how he can see. How can he see? By the power of Jesus Christ. However, they don't want to say that. Because if they say that, it's clearly understood. It's a it's the, whether it's spoken or unspoken, anyone in Israel who declares Jesus will be removed from the sanctuary, will be kicked out of the synagogue. They will not have access and they will be a, considered a blight. They will be kept at a distance as unclean. So they say, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we know not. And what you could say is, Come on, get a backbone, preach Christ. But by what means he now sees we know not, or who hath opened his eyes we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. Uh-huh. Boy, this sounds like us. You see, we have a justification. I don't want to be removed from the synagogue unnecessarily. Being removed from the synagogue is the highest form of shame in the culture. I'm not going to do that. Why would I do that just because he got healed? I mean, he got healed. It's his benefit. Let him talk. Let him face the consequences for this. I'm not going to be associated with this one. These words spoke his parents. Why? Because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did homilageo, that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Whoa. If you want to agree with the Holy Spirit and declare that he is in fact the Christ, the lone means of salvation for Israel, you're out of here. Uh, I don't want to mess with that. Well, you know, the same principle is true in, in our world today. You start boldly declaring the sufficiency of the cross and that there is no other means of salvation outside of Jesus Christ, and you'll find that we have our own form in America of putting you out of the synagogue. You're called a kook and an idiot. There are other names for it that could sound a little different. You know, maybe like cult leader, 
heretic, all these various names, I've become very acquainted with them over time. What I want you to know is that when you boldly speak, something comes back on you, which is why we all learn our lesson to just be quiet. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not homologeo him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. I think we're running into a little mirror image of ourselves there. This is where most of us are. We've believed in him, but are we willing to homologeo? The dangers of the cowardly soul. Whosoever therefore, says Jesus, shall homologeo me before men, him will I homologeo also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. What, are you guys after peace here in America? I didn't come to send peace. Homologeo. But God, uh, I mean, we have to, it's a dangerous, delicate balance here in America. I mean, we live in a certain time period where it's just not appropriate to declare these things. We need to sort of bide our time until a Republican form of government completely overtakes our country. Then we'll step up. Oh, no, we won't. You step up now or don't step up at all. You see, it has been revealed to our soul what the word of God is. The Holy Spirit is convicting us. And he's saying, this tongue is mine. Jesus purchased it with his blood. And the first sign of occupied territory of the believer's life is what he does with his tongue. The rewards of the lion-hearted soul. That if thou shalt homologeo with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth homologeo is made unto salvation. Uh, woe? You see, homologeo is a work of who? It's a spirit hovering over the waters. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He is the bold confessor. You are not. You and I are pathetic. We are weak. We are limp at the very moment we need to be solid. We are cowards. Let's just call it what it is. When it comes to Diving out of airplanes, you may be strong. When it comes to sticking on a football helmet, sticking black eyeliner under and hitting someone strongly with a tackle, maybe you're bold. However, when it comes to standing strong for, the, for Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross, we're cowards. What's wrong with us? Why am I so empty at the very moment I must be strong? Don't lean on your own strength to carry out Christianity. You have been given the chutzpah you must accept it and allow that chutzpah, known as the Holy Spirit, to dwell inside of you and to be bold inside of you. That Holy Spirit will take you to the lowest place and will teach you a life of deep humility. But that Holy Spirit will also rise up in the midst of that humility and bark the truth of the kingdom of heaven. The power to make the bold confession. Matthew 16, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I the son of man, am. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So imagine that we're sitting there, and God's basically asking us in front of society, who do you say Jesus is? And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? I don't care what others say. Who do you say? This is a personalized test for us. Who do you say that he is? Because if you declare him the Christ, you'll be put out of the synagogue. Well understood. Haven't you figured that one out yet? To boldly confess 
is to be put out of the good graces of society. Do you recognize that our God is at enmity with the world system? He's at enmity with the religious systems of this world. He is king and rightful master of it all. Who do we bend our knee to? Who do we confess with our mouth? Do we confess this world? Or do we confess the king that rules the other world? But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. Oh, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. He was revealed this fact that Jesus is the Christ, not by men, but by God. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit reveals in the name of the Father here, in the name of the Son, he reveals the fact that Jesus is the Christ. The veil, the blockage of spiritual sight. But their minds were blinded, speaking of the Jews, for until this day remains the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. They cannot see it. They cannot see it. The Holy Spirit, where does the Holy Spirit dwell in the Old Testament? He dwells behind a veil. He's in the Holy of Holies. But there's a veil that still blocks the reading of the Old Testament to the Jews. They cannot see it. Why? Well, because they don't have the Holy Spirit to see it. You see, they've rejected that which God sent. The Holy Spirit was revealed, was revealing Jesus Christ to them. They crucified him. If you do not accept the work of the Holy Spirit and the wooing of the Holy Spirit, that's what could be classified as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It is refusing the messenger and the vehicle that is brought to your understanding the Christ of God. There is no other means of salvation if you reject his message. None. So the veil is upon their hearts. Nevertheless, when it shall be turned to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. The two confessions, the evidences of agreement. So there's two confessions that we talk about a lot here at Ellerslie. The first one is, God is right, I'm wrong. It's called the confession of sin. So one of the ways of saying that is the word of God is right. This is what the Holy Spirit reveals to us. The Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit declares to our soul, confesses to our soul, the word of God is right. Now the word of God in text and the word of God in person. He's right. He's righteous. Everything he did is truth. I, and so if you believe that, if you're convinced of that, what does it show you? Well, I'm wrong. He's right. If he's right, I'm wrong because I've stood against him. And so what it reveals is sin. When you agree with the Holy Spirit, he convicts you of sin. And the statement could be, I'm actu- I actually am a sinner in need of a Savior. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The second thing sounds very similar to the first one, doesn't it? The word of God is right. And yet it's very specifically, Jesus is that Savior and he is my lone means of rescue. The first one reveals your sin. The second one is convincing you that when you turn unto him, he is the source of salvation for your sin. So it doesn't just reveal your sin, but it reveals the answer to your sin in Jesus Christ because the word of God also testifies of that. And so the spirit of God takes from the word of God and reveals not just the fact that you're at enmity with God, but that he has come to save you. And when you turn in faith and agree with the spirit of God wooing you that the word of God is right, you are saved. I believe 
that the Word of God is right and what it says about Jesus Christ and what He did on my behalf is true. And as a result, by that faith in Jesus Christ, in His work, in agreement with the Holy Spirit, we live. And there's a new creation that comes about. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. How do you confess that Jesus is the Son of God? God must be the one to reveal it to you. And this is the sure evidence. If you're confessing it, guess what? It's because God dwells in you and you in God. You see, this is the annunciation on the external realm that something has changed. You have believed. And the first sign of belief is what we can call confession. The tongue is grabbed. You see, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Something has changed in this man because no one in their right mind would ever do that otherwise. This is a sign to the outside world. These men have been with Jesus. The Holy Spirit has changed us. Parakletos, the advocate, the intercessor, the rescuer, the helper, the counselor, the comfort bringer. Listen to this. I gave another title here. The confessor of the word of God, the Holy Spirit. He is the humble one that goes into the water and pushes us up, but he's also one that comes and dwells within us and does the confessing. He's the one that gives us the boldness and the courage to do what we can't do right now. We're weak. If I were to all say to you, okay, we're going to go out there and just walk through the neighborhood and we're going to knock on doors and start preaching, some of you would get excited and some of you would literally melt and try and come up with an excuse. Like, yeah, my, my, in, in soccer practice, like in, in college, we had these sprints. They were called suicides. And I mean, it was just horrible. And literally, grown men were acting like they had sprained ankles and pulled muscles. And I was actually pondering. I was like just about to before he blew his whistle. I mean, I was pondering. It's like, don't I have a sprained ankle? I mean, I was going to die if I didn't. That's the way a lot of us are when it comes to sharing the gospel. It's like, oh, oh, pulled hamstring, pulled hamstring. The bold confessor, a spirit-constructed confession should be in alignment with the work and behavior of the Spirit of God. The way you confess is the way the Spirit of God confesses to you. It's humble, but it's bold. It must be born of the Spirit of God, lifting high the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It must be humble in its deportment, bent and trembling beneath the perfect and holy sway of scriptural truth. It must bend its knee before Jesus Christ, declaring his lordship. It must be bold regarding the words of Scripture. They are perfect, without flaw, without lie, and binding upon my soul. It must be honest with sin. God is right, and where I oppose Him, I am the one who is wrong, and I must turn from my previous way. And it must forsake and repent of wrongs done. I leave it behind, I turn from it, I cast it off to turn back to it no more. It must be clear regarding righteousness. I am unrighteous and deserving of judgment. It is, it is, his, it is in His righteousness alone that I find refuge from the wrath to come. It must be forthright regarding position. I am in Christ Jesus by faith. This is what the Holy Spirit reveals to us. This is what the Word of God speaks. The Holy Spirit enunciates it to our soul. One of the things my sister said to me growing up was, Eric, you can speak the truth, but if you don't speak it the way that Jesus would speak it, you actually can do more harm than good. I want you to think about that in regards to how we as Christians live our life. If we do not live them in the Spirit, in stride with the Spirit, who's in perfect agreement with the Word of God, which is Jesus, then even though we have the text of Scripture, even though we have the concepts of Scripture, the ideas of Scripture, if we are not in alignment with how He would deliver it, we actually can do harm with the very truth of God's Word. Could you do that? Because if it's empty of the Spirit, it's dead. 
It's letter instead of life. We are meant to give life. Jesus came to illuminate and bring to life the scriptures. Scripture outside of the pneuma, outside of the spirit that originally brought it to the writers, is dead. And it can actually bring harm and bring us under condemnation instead of free us by its very nature. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, not condemnation. When the Spirit of God speaks through us, it is bringing a message of liberty unto souls. It is bringing about a new creation. It is bringing about greenness and life and color. It does not bring dearth and darkness and death. The religious spirit of our age wields the truth of Scripture, but it wields it without the Spirit. It has a form of power that denies, it has a form of godliness that denies the power thereof. And what we must be as Christians are men and women who tremble at the Word of God as the Spirit of God brings it to us and He convicts us and we quickly agree with it and we repent. But we don't stop there. We allow the chutzpah of the Holy Spirit to enter into us and say, God, you live boldly in and through this body. It must not be based on feelings but on truth. God said it and that is enough for me. Conclusion. Your tongue is not your own. See, what it says in Scripture is your body is not your own, so I'm making it more specific for you. Your tongue is not your own. Because we're talking about confession, it's very, very important for you to realize. It's not just your left eyeball is not your own, which would actually be helpful for some of us to also realize. You see, we don't just do whatever we want with our eyes, with our ears, with our hearts, with our feet, with our hands. These belong to Jesus Christ. They were purchased. But there is one signal, as James describes it, that declares if a man's religion is false or true, and that is his tongue. If a man does not handle his tongue, it only proves one thing, and that is his religion is false. But if his tongue is harnessed to do that which God would do, which, by the way, is impossible. You cannot harness your own tongue. It must be harnessed by something else. It must be harnessed by the Spirit of God. It says in James, when it talks about the tongue, it says it's the littlest member. Set on fire by what? The fires of hell. What does Pentecost declare? Pentecost, whether or not you want to, we're not going to talk about speaking in tongues. What I'm going to talk about is the tongue set on fire by the fire of heaven. That is what Pentecost, if you want to just bake it right down to it, is declaring. These men set aside for the glory of God were inhabiting God Almighty. God came to this earth. Jesus went to be with the Father so he could give us the parakletos, so that we could live lives as God intended us to live them. And the first thing he declares is that tongue is mine. You know how dangerous it is to go into the city of Jerusalem and start speaking like that? You know how dangerous it is for Peter to get up in the very city in which they crucified Jesus 50 days earlier to actually get up and boldly proclaim, you crucified him. Uh, Peter, uh, you could get kicked out of the synagogue for that. Uh Uh-huh. The chutzpah has come. The power to boldly confess has come. Don't dig in your own pockets to find the chutzpah. See, that's my problem. If I was to describe my main issue in most of my Christian life, it's like, God, I've, I know I'm supposed to be sharing about this. And I'd come up to people trembling and start talking. I just, what should I know about the gospel of Jesus? They'd laugh and I'd be like, and I'd sort of run off to the side and go, God, this is miserable. I was digging in my own pockets trying to find the ability to proclaim and confess. Do you have it in your own pockets, that which is needed? 
You don't. You don't have it in your own self, in your own substance. But do you have it? You have it by faith in Christ, by faith in his word. He's promised it to you, and that promise is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, ask the Father. Ask. He will give you the chutzpah. He will give you the boldness. That's exactly what the early church prayed for, too. God, we are, we're weak. Give us boldness. The place was shook. And what did they do? They spoke boldly. The Holy Spirit came upon them in boldness. We could say, in chutzpah. That's what he did. So conclusion, your tongue is not your own. The Holy Spirit has something to confess. He has something to say. Isn't that an awkward thought to think that the Holy Spirit wants to say something in our generation? And if you use your imagination of what that would be, you're like, oh no, not with this tongue. I remember talking to God years ago. It's like, okay, God, here's my short list of things that I'm gonna just ask you up front to not ever ask me to speak on. I did. Back then, it was actually Christian rock music. That was on my list. I didn't want to speak on Christian rock music. Uh, Now it sounds sort of ridiculous. It's like, that was on my list. And yet, we have these things like, oh no, I'm not about to deal with these things. You know, over time, I've begun to realize that there is a boldness to proclaim the gospel, but I don't have it. I do have it, though, in Jesus Christ. I don't have it naturally. I have it supernaturally. Jesus purchased your tongue with his shed blood so that the Holy Spirit could use it to proclaim the glories of the gospel in this very hour and in this generation. So be it if they throw you out of the synagogue. Isn't it funny? The synagogue, being a part of the synagogue means nothing to you. So if that's the great threat, oh, they're going to throw you out of the synagogue. You might as well treat it as if you have no clue what they're even talking about. Going, oh, who cares? Do you know what they're going to laugh at you? That you're going to belittle you? They're going to destroy your reputation. Do you recognize what it means to be thrown out of the synagogue? And you could say back, do you recognize who it is that's in the discussion? His name is Jesus Christ. There is only one means of salvation. The Holy Spirit has revealed it to me and I've believed. I'm a changed man. How could I keep it to myself? Holy Spirit, come and fill these bodies. Give us the chutzpah. Give us the oomph to speak that which needs to be spoken now. This is the hour. May we not be outpaced by the Chinese church. That's a hard one. The Chinese church has power. We don't. Now, I'm not saying we don't have a small power. We do. But we don't have what we need. And I would say if all of us in one voice fell on our knees and began to cry out for that which we need, we'd begin to see something begin to change in us and in this world. Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This is part two of a two-part message given by Pastor Eric Ludy at the Church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy.